Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace, pastor of Redemption to the Nation's Church. And listen, today I'm going to be bringing a message that I trust will bring life and hope and peace to your heart. We need peace in these troubled times. We can find it in the word of the Lord. I want you to call your friends, your family, let them know that this message is getting ready to be preached. I want them to join in and be blessed by it as well. Now hang on to the end. I'm coming back to pray for you and your need. Can't wait to see you then. May the Lord bless you. Let's jump into the word today. I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and Revelation 19 as we stand for the word today. I will continue this series I began some time ago called Here Comes the Bride. Here Comes the Bride. And we want to talk about this preparation we are in and the wedding we are preparing for. And uh, I think we have uh, today and next week, maybe a week beyond that, I'm not going to rush this series. Um, I'm going to uh, um, just, I'm sorry, that wasn't rude. I was, nobody was looking. I just didn't want that water to be up here. I'll throw it and hit somebody or something. I didn't want to do that. So uh, we want to go to 2 Corinthians, ADD. Lord, focus me here, Jesus. Uh, a squirrel. Um, 2 Corinthians. Some of y'all smile. I mean, I just don't bow to the pressure of Pharisees. Amen. We have a good time when we come to church, amen? It's wonderful. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 2, and then we're going to go to Revelation 19. Here comes the bride. How many know we're getting ready for a wedding? How many know Jesus didn't come to build a religion? He came to get a bride ready to marry him. Somebody say amen. I'm going to talk about that for a few moments this morning. Did y'all receive communion elements? Where, where's communion at? They're ready to hand it out? Okay, so here's what we're going to do because I got a revelation early this morning in prayer. This was not anybody's fault but your pastors. Had I had any foresight, I would have let them know, but this one's hot off the press. I want you to receive communion elements because before we leave today, even though it is not first Sunday, I felt the Lord say he wanted to hear his bride say yes one more time. And so, uh, thank you. You can just start doing that. Um, I want to go, and we're going to read the scriptures while they do this. Again, if you're online watching, go get your juice and crackers. Get prepared. We're going to take communion before we leave the house this morning. Revelation chapter 19, and we'll start with 2 Corinthians 11. Somebody say, here comes the bride. Verse 2, Paul said to the church at Corinth, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now let me just say this because uh, if you're in this place and you, you know, you're like trying to measure the intensity of what I'm getting ready to preach on a scale of one to 10, this is a 10. We are not dealing in shallow waters today. We're gonna talk about the deep things. This is an intense message, uh, but how many know we don't need um, uh, chicken soup for the Christian soul in this season? We need the word of the Lord and revelation from the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? And I'm not saying that I have that, but I do believe there's a word from the Lord that is a deep, and some would even say, this is heavy. It's a shame that truth has become such a heavy burden to so many people in church. We ought to be able to hear the truth and be like, yes, he's talking to me. Amen? Paul says to the church of Corinth, I am jealous with a godly jealousy for I want, I betrothed you, I, I want you to be for one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The key word in that passage is the key word betrothed. How many have a translation that says espoused? So espoused or betrothed, we're gonna talk about that in a moment. Now go to Revelation chapter 19, please. I worship you, Lord. If you haven't been served communion elements, would you just lift your hand? They're coming. Uh, we have uh, people who are helping us, and, and uh, we'll make sure you get communion elements, some right through there. Thank you all. God bless you. Revelation 19, 1, when you have it, say amen. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. I want you to look at the four hallelujahs of Revelation 19. These, this is powerful. There is a praise breaking out in heaven. 
And I want us to see why they are saying hallelujah four times. All right, listen to this. I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great whore or harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he, I told y'all this was a 10, y'all. This is on a scale of one to 10, this is heavy. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Next verse. Again, they said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises up for they are rejoicing. Hear me. They are praising God and shouting hallelujah because the great whore has been destroyed. Y'all, y'all missed that, but don't miss it. It's important that they are celebrating the judgment of the harlot. Are you following me? Uh-huh. Keep going, please. And the 24 elders and the four, this is the last time the 24 elders are found in all the scripture. You won't find the 24 elders after the 19th verse because after this, it's not about the 24 elders, it's about the bride. Oh, let me mind. Here we go. And they fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen and Hallelujah. Keep going. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Come on. Hallelujah. They're still praising God. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Keep going. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. How many want to be ready? Say amen. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. One more last verse. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Touch your neighbor, tell him, worship God. Worship God. We don't worship the stage. We don't worship the singers. We don't worship angels. We don't worship preachers. We don't worship apostles. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Touch your other neighbor and tell them, worship God. Father, help us today to teach and preach and reveal the truth, rightly dividing the word of truth. May a spirit of wisdom and revelation rest on us in the knowledge of Jesus. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Um, some would say the Bible is a Bible of a book of history, I would agree. Some would say the Bible is a book of prophecy. To that, I would agree. And there are many different adjectives and different mm, titles uh, theses we could apply and appropriate to what the Bible is. But for me, when I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I see it as a love story. A love story between God and his creation. Yes, his creation uh, fell in the garden. Man was marred by sin, deceived and beguiled and taken from its place of authority and dominion. But what Adam, the first Adam, lost in the Garden of Eden, the last Adam got it back in a garden called Gethsemane. How many know that what Adam lost, Jesus recovered for all of us? And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we who were fallen and separated have now become one with him and reunited, as it were. We have been the object, become the object of his love. And because of his love for us, we have new life on the inside of us today. You are not sitting by someone who has arrived. You are sitting by someone, however, who is on their way. I'm thankful to be on my way to heaven today. 
I'm thankful to be on my way, and while I'm on my way, I'm everything I'm going to be already, and yet I'm still in process. That's confusing, I know. But God is able to call us by a finished product, even though we're in the process of becoming everything he's calling us to be. And so from the foundation of the world, he wanted to demonstrate his love for a people, and he wanted to show his love by giving the analogy of a marriage between a groom and a bride. And this morning, I want to remind you that if you are saved, you are not just a member of a church, you are a bride in waiting. There's going to be a wedding. And when we talk about this love story between God and humanity, the story of a father who had a son who was committed to the bride in such a way that the son would give his life for the bride, the groom would give his life for the bride so that one day the bride and the groom could be joined together and live forever in a place called eternity. I know people make all kinds of things, write all kinds of songs about what heaven will be, but I wanna tell you this, at the end of the day, heaven is a great wedding. Heaven is going to be, a great, eternity is going to be a marriage ceremony that lasts forever. Anybody remember how happy you were on your honeymoon night? Come on, lift your hand. I didn't say right now, but on your honeymoon night. How many remember how excited you were about your honeymoon night, right? How many know people told you, enjoy it because honeymoons don't last forever? Anybody hear that? We tell people that when they go get a job. Your first six months is wonderful. It's a honeymoon. Then the honeymoon's over. I want to tell you, this love relationship with Jesus will be a honeymoon that lasts forever. That's why we have eternity. We will spend eternity while the ages roll and we won't have no cancer and we won't have no devil and there won't, some people are gonna have to figure out what to do with Jesus and his presence when they don't have demons to bind and devils to rebuke because the devil will be chained and cast into a bottomless pit. There will be no powers, principalities, no rulers of the darkness of this world. There will never be another night season, another season of darkness. There will never be another, I feel a preacher coming on me here. There will never be another bad report. There will never be another lie. There will never be another naysayer. There will be no grumblers present to disturb us. On that day, we will live forever with the groom and as the bride, we will experience eternal bliss while the ages roll. I'm going to heaven. That's why I'm trying to find out why people on their way to heaven look miserable and sad. Come on, we're going to a wedding. Somebody is about to get married. You're not going to have to drag us into heaven. We're ready to jump in and say, look what the Lord has done for all of eternity. We're going to be with our king. This is a wedding. We're getting ready for a wedding. Now, when we talk about a marriage and a wedding and we read it in the Bible and I preach it to you in this series we often lay our lens and our perspective of weddings and marriage, we often view this conversation that we're having through the lens that we see weddings and marriages through in our American westernized society. But when Jesus spoke of a wedding and when the Bible speaks of a wedding, it was from a Jewish perspective. And a Jewish wedding is very different than the kind of wedding we have. And some people don't appreciate and don't completely understand when we talk about intimacy with Jesus, we don't completely understand why we should be excited about the, pro the possibility and all of the prophetic things regarding eternity in heaven. But I think if we understood marriage and relationship through a Jewish understanding, we could more fully appreciate why we take advantage of the moments we have to get ourselves ready for the wedding getting ready to happen in the sky. Hallelujah. And I want to talk about that wedding process just for a few moments today because we are the bride and he, Jesus, is the groom, but you need to understand the best is still yet to come. In Jewish weddings, it wasn't like we do it now where, um, well, for some people they do it like this now, but there's a lot of people who just like fall in love with somebody and without having an opportunity to express faithfulness and commitment to that love, some people really, let's just be real and call it what it is, some people fall in lust. We went from zero to 60 in like 12 seconds right there. People are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Some people fall into lust and not love. Love is much deeper than physical attraction. 
Where are my single people? All the single ladies, all the single ladies. Anybody single? Okay, hear me when I tell you, love is more than sex. Marriage is, I can't find no help. Now, it's a big part of it. How many would agree and thank God that it's a big, but it's much more than that. It's about commitment. It's about, I'm not getting no help. I done ticked the men and the women off right here. But it's about commitment. It's about faithfulness. It's about sticking to something, making a vow, and deciding even when it's thick and thin, I'm going to keep the commitment that I made. We don't have that. We, we actually take wedding vows on wedding days in America to get to a bedroom to have sex, but we don't take vows serious enough that three years into the marriage when you got job loss and you got problems that hit your house and you got stuff that comes into your house, we don't have the kind of stick to it and the kind of faithfulness. And I want to tell you, I would encourage you to examine your wedding vows before you make them on your wedding day because you got to have more to live for than just getting in the bed together. That's good preaching, Bishop. That's pretty good. This is why we have to counsel a whole lot of people because they fell into lust and nobody talked them out of lust before they discovered they really didn't have love. Love is not just about keeping something you feel good about. Love is about staying with someone and saying, we're going to make it through this in the name of the Lord. And that's something that, that's a powerful part of Jewish relationship, marriage, and wedding, when you come to a Jew, when you start talking about marriage and weddings in the Bible, there's this process. It's more like a three-step process. The first part of the process is what some would call, it's in, called in the Hebrew, the shidukin. Shidukin. And it literally is the arrangement of the marriage when a groom, take a notes, write it down. I'm going to teach for a few minutes, and then I'm going to lead you into something that I felt like God led me to this morning. The shidukin is when a groom-to-be would leave his father's house. He would go to the house of a prospective bride, and he would make a proposal to the bride-to-be and he would say, this is the contract I'm offering you if we come into marriage relationship together. This is what's powerful. There was a part of that, that contract called the Mohar, M-O-H-A-R. And the Mohar is the bridal price that the groom was willing to pay. So the groom would leave his father's house, would go to the bride-to-be, and before they had been on a date, before they had uh, you know, promised you know, each other themselves, he would present a marriage contract and say, this is what I'm offering you, and this is the price that I'm willing to pay for you. And the father and the bride, the father of the bride-to-be and the bride-to-be, they would hear the contract and the price that the, the groom was prepared to pay. And when I thought about marriage uh, through that lens, it is so symbolic of what Jesus did to describe to you and I how much he loved us and how much he wanted to spend eternity with us. Because men would go to a bride-to-be and say, we will pay you this amount of money for our future together. And they would say, we would pay you this. They would tell the, the, the father of the bride, we will pay you this for your daughter. We'll give you this amount of money. And when it come to Jesus, Jesus did not come up with a sum of money to pay for you and I. He did not offer an endowment to pay for a relationship with you and I. When it come to how much he loved us, when it come time to reveal how worth we were to him, how much we were worth to him. He passed, bypassed all of the monetary ways he could have shown his love. And he said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for my bride. I'm not going to offer a sum of money. I'm going to give something more precious than all the money in the world. I'm actually going to give my entire life so that my bride know how much she means to me. The marriage contract of heaven is not let's see how much he could get out of us. This was a one-sided deal, family. When it come to our salvation, it wasn't how we earn our way into the kingdom of God. It wasn't how we earn our way into salvation. It wasn't how we earn our way into new life. We were broke, busted, and disgusted. I had no future. You had no future. We were going nowhere, and we had nothing at all to offer 
the king of glory. But the king of glory left his father's house. Can I preach it like I feel it? And he was born after 40 and two generations. And he came down through the virgin womb of a girl named Mary to be born among sinful humanity so that he could tell them, I got a contract. I got a proposal for you. I'm looking for a bride and I'm trying to find somebody who understands that I love them so much. I'll leave the pavilions of my father's mansion. I'll leave the very streets of gold. I'll leave everything I know and I'll come down and wrap myself in human flesh and I'll show you. I'm not just going to tell you how much I love you. I'm going to show you what you mean to me. Here's the price I'm willing to pay. I give you my life. That's why the Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 20, the 28th chapter, you are bought with his precious blood. It says in the book of Peter, you were bought with the price. In Corinthians, you were bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body because you are not your own. You have not been redeemed. Come on, help me preach the Bible. You have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but we have been. Do you know what redemption is? Redemption, the picture of redemption is something sitting on an auction block and nobody wanted to pay the price to set it free and redeem it. But Jesus came. I'm gonna walk around here and preach. Jesus came and saw humanity hawked up on the auction block and Satan had us in position because of our sin and our iniquity and just when it looked like Satan would would possess a lost humanity Jesus said not so I'm going to pay a price and redeem humanity from the curse of sin and I'm going to give them an opportunity to step out of the curse and come into the blessing to step out of the light and come to step out of the dark and come into the light. We are not redeemed with money. The contract Jesus offered was not financial. The contract he offered was deeper than that because our problem was not a financial problem. Our problem was a spiritual problem and you, you can't have enough money in your bank account to solve your spiritual problem. I don't care how much money you have and I'm, I'm thankful God blesses us financially but I know a lot of rich people who are broke on the inside because our brokenness was not a financial brokenness. Our brokenness was not even a physical brokenness. Our brokenness was a spiritual death and the only way to bring us out of the death was somebody to pay the price and to take us off the auction block and say, that one belongs to me. Jesus came from his father's heaven. Was found in the fashion of a man, Paul said. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Hear me very carefully. The first part of any Jewish wedding is a proposal. And Jesus made a proposal to you and I when he died on the cross and said, I'm gonna give my life, and that's how, you're, how much you're worth to me. I wanna ask you a question. How could you be worth any more to Jesus than for him to declare you meant so much to him that he would die for you? What else can he give? There are many religions in the world, and some people spend their life studying other religions. Many, many religions demand that they, we would have to die to please their God. Christianity is very different. Christianity doesn't demand that I physically give my life to die for him. Christianity, Christendom, walking with Jesus says that the groom died so that the bride could find life. This is diametrically different than Islam. I'm not going to make any friends with this one, but I didn't come to make friends today. I came to preach Jesus. Any religion that tells you you got to fly into a building to please your God, I want nothing to do with that kind of religion. 
God did not come and demand I have to die for him to prove my love to him. Jesus came to die for me to say to me, I'm giving it all for you. was the proposal. This is what's interesting. When the groom-to-be would make a wedding proposal to the bride-to-be, they often did this over a cup. A cup. They would pour a cup of wine at the proposal, and the groom-to-be would offer the proposal, and if the bride accepted the proposal, she would drink the cup with her father, <laughs> Jesus, and they would essentially say to the groom, we accept the price you're willing to pay. And as I was reading that and reflecting on that this morning, I thought about communion. Every time we take communion, we are drinking the cup of proposal and we are saying yes to the groom. <laughs> Hear me. I know there are people who get all wore out sometimes because we say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If you praised him, if people praised him, nobody would have to say that. But sometimes churches and leaders have to encourage people to praise the Lord. One reason we do that is to make sure what, we val what is valued in heaven is valued on earth. What do you mean, pastor? Let me explain. The Bible says that heaven rejoices. Angels in heaven rejoice, rejoice, rejoice over one sinner who comes into the kingdom through repentance, right? It doesn't take a whole altar full. I'll take a whole altar full. But do you understand that if one person hobbles down this altar today and gives their heart to Jesus, whether you see it or not in here, in heaven, there's a party going on. Do you know why there is a party going on in heaven over one sinner who repents? Because it is just like when a young man proposes to a young lady and she says yes. It's what happened when Michelle and Jeremiah got married. Jeremiah, who lived in Washington, D.C., he set up a camera and he puts this camera up and he's about to ask Michelle, will you marry me? And she doesn't know that there's a camera. She thinks they're taking a romantic walk because you know Jeremiah is such a romantic. And he takes her on a walk and they're going for a walk and he gets down on a knee at the nation's capital while they're in D.C. and she's there visiting him and he gets down on a knee and he pulls out a ring and she starts going <laughs> and she's jumping up and down and she's going crazy and she's going <laughs> and he finally goes will you marry me and she says yes and they jump up and down and they're screaming and they're going crazy she puts it on social media all of her girlfriends oh, oh we're so excited she said yes she said yes he proposed she said yes and there's a lot of joy going on and then we come to church on Sunday and either me or Pastor Devin or Pastor Gary or another minister preaches the gospel and we give an opportunity because Jesus is still proposing to lost humanity and he's saying, can I find a bride? Does anybody want to come and marry me? Does anybody want to come out from among this world and be mine? Does anybody want to love me and find out what my love is for them? And every time I feel the preacher coming on me now, every time somebody says yes, they walk down this aisle, we lead them in prayer, and they give their heart to Jesus, and the angels in heaven celebrate. Why? Because another part of the bride said yes. I'm telling you, we got to get back to celebrating what heaven celebrates. Every time one person turns it over to Jesus and said, you can have all of me, we need a celebration to break out from the right to the left, from the front to the back, because the bride is coming into picture and God is raising up a people who love Jesus. So we celebrate. I will never cease making a big deal about one person getting saved. Never. Well, you know, it just 
gets on our nerves. It gets on your nerves and, my, and other people's nerves because sometimes we forget about what this is all about. And sometimes people who've been saved for 40 years have forgotten the pit. I know it's 1224 and if you gotta go, God bless you, we'll see you Wednesday night, but I'm getting this one out because I wanna tell you sometimes we have forgotten how messed up we were. We've been saved so long we forgot the pit he rescued us from. Every time somebody gets saved, it ought to remind us of the night we said yes. It ought to remind us of the night we said, thank you, Lord, for saving us. We need to make a big deal about salvation. Christians have lost that. Church, churches and... The, The only time we get excited about salvation is Easter. When we can brag about our 700 people got saved. They'd have got saved four months ago had you just given altar call. Sinners are sitting in our church every Sunday. We're content with them to sit there as long as they give their money and stand when we tell them to stand and sit when we tell them to sit down. I'm telling you, this is not a mausoleum of a bunch of people that have arrived. This is a place where we're getting ready for a wedding. There is going to be a wedding and I'm trying to find out where is the bride? Where's the bride? The bride says to him, yes. Where is where is the bride? The, the proposal has been made. And when the proposal has been made and the, the, the groom has said, this is the payment I'll offer, the bride says, I accept. And when she accepts, as a part and testimony of her accepting the proposal he offers, she drinks the cup he poured. Having known that about the wedding, Watch Matthew 26, verse 27 and 28 unfold. He takes his disciples into a room. He tells them, I'm making you a proposal today. I'm making a new covenant. Listen, a new covenant in my blood. Why a new covenant? Because the old one won't get it done. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We need the Old Testament. But the law of Moses was insufficient to provide the kind of deliverance and salvation that we needed. Every year, another lamb had to die to cover the sin. Jesus didn't just come to cover the sin. Jesus came to die once and for all and take the power, whoop, hallelujah, and the penalty of sin. You are not only delivered from the penalty of sin, which means you don't have to go to hell. You are delivered from the power of sin, which means sin shall not have dominion over you. I'm going to I'm going to preach here. It is not that we're not tempted to sin as Christians. It is not that we don't fall into sin or choose to sin at times. But as a Christian, it means we cannot live in harmony and a lifestyle of sin because to do so would be high treason against our commitment of faithfulness to the groom. The groom is coming back. How do I know the groom is coming back? Because the wedding, although we are committed to each other in marriage. The wedding is not complete until we consummate with our groom. That will not happen. I feel preaching here. That will not happen until the groom returns and a new heaven and a new earth come down from God out of heaven and we rise to meet him in the air and then we will meet our groom until then. What are we doing? We are expressing every time we take that cup, yes, again. Yes, again. Yes, again. Every time we drink it, we know we haven't seen the fullness of it yet, but we are testifying we will. And until then, we will remain committed to the one who we believe is coming back for us. When he left, I'm done here. When he left, I say that to get people on the fence to stay five more minutes. I'm just being honest. When he left, where did he go? He went back to do what every Jewish groom did when his wife accepted the proposal. When the proposal was given and the bride accepted the proposal, the bride-to-be accepted the proposal, watch, they were betrothed. Everyone say betrothed. Betrothed. 
they were not completely married yet. That would come at a wedding ceremony where they would move in together and live the rest of their lives together. But until that time, they were betrothed. And the betrothal could last for a year, could last three years. And during the betrothal period, the groom who had made the offer and the bride who had made the commitment and said yes to the groom, they would live as if they were married even though they were not together yet. And while they were committed, the groom would go back to the father's house and build a new room onto his father's house. And when the, when the new room got ready, he would then go back to the bride. And we're going to talk about that next week. And if you think the day was intense, next week we're going to talk about the harlot, so warn your friends. <laughs> I'm just being a good shepherd here. He would go back and build a house. I read a scripture in John 14 that said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. This is all lining up. Jesus is preparing a place. He's coming back. And the consummation of the ages is going to happen. The bride of Christ, the church, and the groom of God, the son, are going to be united. The spirit and the bride say, come on, Jesus. So why did I have communion prepared today? Because I believe God spoke to me and said, I just want to hear yes one more time. Who's mine? Who is mine? He's made a proposal. Can I tell you, for me, and we say things like this, and I don't know if we meet them, but consider this. We, we hear super, we call them super spiritual people. If he never does one more thing for me, he's already done enough. How many have heard people say that? How many have ever said that? I agree with that. The good news is he's going to keep on taking care of us. The good news is he's going to keep on blessing us. But he doesn't have to do one more thing to prove love. Why? Because you cannot exceed the kind of love whereby you would lay down your life for that thing or that person you love. If you would die for it, what other price could be paid? He's not paying another price. He paid it already. This isn't going to be settled in the future. The next time the devil tells, somebody said, well, the devil and Jesus are battling it out. No, no, they're not. This has already been decided. You understand the battle happened 2,000 years ago. The victory came 2,000 years ago. We are simply walking out what Jesus has already paid for. There's going to be a... a a wedding between a bride and a groom. Well, I don't know my, my eschatology and your eschatology. I don't care about your eschatology or my. There's coming a wedding. Well, are you saying you're pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib? I'm saying there's going to be a wedding. We're arguing over things that have distracted us from the beauty and the revelation of what's getting ready to go down. We, look, we read the book of Revelation and think it's about the Antichrist. People write books about spiders the size of Volkswagens and crazy stuff, you know, how horrible it's going to be. It's going to be bad, but listen, that's not for the people who are going to the wedding. We're going to a wedding. I'm not even going to be here to see what all them people are crazy and going nuts about. I am on a ticket, a ticket that's taking me out of here. You don't have to agree with me, and I'm not going to beat you down with eschatology today. I'm just going to say the Lord himself shall descend from heaven from a shout, and the, tr the trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 
Lord. I do believe in the rapture of the church. If you want to believe in the pre-trib rapture, the mid-trib rapture, whenever you want to believe it, there is a day coming when gravity will lose hold on the bodies that are walking on this planet and the dead in Christ shall rise and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. You say, preacher, I don't know if I believe. That is not Wallace. That is Paul in the book of Thessalonians talking to the church of Thessalonica. Jesus is coming. Stop building. I'm going to preach. Hold this. Stop building your kingdom and telling me how long you're going to live and what you're going to do. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is promised to no man. Get your house in order. There is going to be a wedding. There is going to be a consummation. The bride and the groom are You better be careful what theology has you thinking you're gonna be here for a thousand years. You're not promised tomorrow. None of us are. This could be the day Jesus returns. Get your house in order. Hallelujah. Stand. I'm gonna stop. Can I tell you what the last cry of the book of Revelation was? It wasn't the spirit and the bride say, hold on. How arrogant. What kind of plan do you have that makes you so confident? You're gonna save the world. The only one who can save this world is Jesus. Well, I've got a cool plan and a blueprint. Nauseous. There's no plan and blueprint conjured up in the mind of man that is greater than the sovereign plan of God. And he told us what was coming. Now, I do contend that in my generation, my prayers can push back the hands of darkness. The power of God can stay the hand of the enemy. But let me tell you this right now. Sticking your head in the proverbial sand, creating some eschatology that loses evangelistic fervor. Do you know why there's a baptism behind that screen that's 5,500 gallons or whatever it is? It looks like a small resort swimming pool. Do you know why it's that big? Say whatever you want to about Highland Park Baptist, but when they were here, they preached the lost and souls got saved and they baptized them by the thousands. And we've arrived in today's theological circles and world. We've come to such a place of revelation. Evangelism is no longer important. Let's have encounters with Jesus. Where's the bride? People are going to hell. Pastor, you're so intense because hell is real and there's a wedding coming and the church is trying to sit in circles singing kumbaya and we're supposed to be telling the world about a groom who loved us so much that he died so we could spend eternity with him. That's the gospel. So when he gives us the proposal today, I just keep seeing a picture of Michelle and Jeremiah in my mind when I, she said yes. And this cup today reminds us of the proposal. And I know one day we're going to be complete in our marriage. He's coming back and he'll take us home. But while we wait, the question is, who still says yes? This is important today because next Sunday I'm going to talk about the harlot who is religious but unfaithful. Yeah, it's heavy, isn't it? So I want to take the cup of betrothal today. While your heart is before the Lord and your eyes are closed and you just... At the cross, at the cross, where I first 
first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now, mm. so the proposal's been made, the offer has been given. Jesus said, I'll ratify a new covenant in my blood for you, give you new life. And if you're still his, some of you have been saved 30, 40 years, some of you have been saved a couple of weeks, but if you're still his and you still love the, the groom, if you're still longing and looking for the day, you'll see him on it. You'll see him face to face. I fear, Paul said, I, I betrothed you to one. I betrothed you to one so that you could be a chaste and pure virgin bride for the Christ. The next verse says, but I fear some have been beguiled by Satan, deceived. Pastor, this sounds so heavy. Why you got to go there? Because we live in a world that wants to offer all sorts of distractions. Voices that tell you things contrary to the voice of God. And today I just felt like God said, I want to I just hear my bride to be. I want to hear him say yes one more time. So if he's your Lord and you still love him, I'm not saying we don't fail him, but I'm saying we don't stay in our failure. We get up and say, Lord, you're still mine and I'm still yours. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Get me ready. Prepare my heart. Thank you for not leaving me like you found me, God. If you got a yes in your heart to the groom and you're going to commit to continue to stand and be faithful, waiting on him to return. Until he comes, he'll invite you into that, that inner chamber and let you experience glimmers and glimpses of his glory. Oh yeah, we're on our way to heaven, but how many are thankful for the moments he's allowed us to taste heaven on earth? If in your heart you still have a yes to him, I want you to take the bread and I want you to take that bread which reminds you of the proposal he made, the life he lived and the body he gave as a ransom and sacrifice for us all. The bread he gave, take and eat with thanksgiving today. And if in this world, in this season, while we're waiting on our king to return, you have made up your mind by the grace of God, I'm not going to live for another love or another lover. But I'm accepting the proposal. And I'm giving him my yes all over again this morning. Then take the cup of proposal. And with thanksgiving, drink the cup and say yes to your lover, the lover of your soul, one more time. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Now, before we leave, can we just lift our hands and thank him for his love for us? And can we thank him for this morning, this, this Sunday morning where we're able to say yes again, Lord, we thank you that you've taken out our double-mindedness. You've, you, you've taken away all the idols and Lord, today we just want to stay in a red-hot relationship of love and faith with you. Somebody just throw your hands up and say yes. Lord, we just say yes with all of our hearts, with all of our minds. In a world that vies for our attention and it wants our affection, Lord, we just, we, we recalibrate, we realign our hearts today. We, 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 we're yours and we're nobody else's. You're jealous for us and we love you, Lord. 
We love you, Lord. If you're in this room and you couldn't drink that cup or haven't drunk it t today yet, maybe you have not ever said yes to Jesus. Maybe it's just been a long time and your life is so filled with idolatry and sin and you feel hopeless. I want to tell you, you're not hopeless. You're in the right place. He didn't come to condemn you and make you feel horrible, and we didn't come to condemn you and make you feel horrible. We came to tell you Jesus loves you, and all you gotta do is turn your life to him today. Whether you've never known him or you've known him and you feel like you've walked a million miles away, I'm talking to you right now. I'd like for every person to bow their head and close their eyes. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor Kevin, pray for me, I need to get my life right with God. I want you to pray for me and ask the Lord to save me. When I say three, lift that hand, we're gonna pray for you. One two, three, right now. God bless you, young man. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. You can put those hands down. You can put them down. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the person on your left and on your right, and I want you to ask them one question. Do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you today? And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, when your neighbor asked you that question, would you just grab them by the hand, come out of your seat, come meet me right here. God bless that whole road. Come on, my God. People are coming to the Lord right now. Ask your neighbor, do you need someone to go pray with you? Come on, buddy. Come on, buddy. Come on. If you lifted your hand, or you should have, come to the altar. Anybody else before we begin to pray? Come on, there's room and there's time. And today is the day of salvation. We give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks. God bless your family. Come on. God bless your sweetheart. Come on. Yeah, come on, Jesus. Angels are celebrating because the bride said yes. Somebody praise God. Stretch your hands toward them, please, and just offer one prayer for them before as, as the leaders, the prayer leaders lead them, I want you to pray for them as you would want someone to pray for you the day you gave your life to Jesus. Father, we just pray multiplied grace and peace and strength and that the revelation of your goodness, love and forgiveness, thorough, thorough, thorough goodness of God, the thorough blessing of God be upon them in the name of Jesus. They're gonna continue to pray. I love your family. Go get your children. Have a wonderful evening. Wednesday night, I'll be preaching here. Get back on Wednesday night at seven o'clock. We're gonna have a great midweek. May the Lord bless and keep you going. The peace of God and the blessing of God this week. Well, I trust that the word of God is working in your heart in this moment. I know the word works. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Maybe something said today has touched your heart. Maybe you feel like you are so far away from God. How could I ever get right with God? Friend, I wanna tell you, there is a way to get right with God. It's through his son, Jesus. Today, if you'll turn your heart and your life over to him, I don't care what you've done and how bad it was, how long you've been doing it and how messed up you feel. Jesus is a friend to sinners. He'll come into your life. He'll turn it all the way around and change it. I believe by the Spirit of God, he's doing that right now. Let's pray. Open your heart and say, dear God, come into my life and forgive me of all my sin. Lord Jesus, I need you to wash me and make me new. I confess that I've been a sinner. And today, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Turn my life over to you, Lord Jesus. Come in and be the king of my heart. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Hey, friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to know today's not the finish line. It's just the beginning. Go to kevinwallace.tv. Just drop us a line on our prayer request area. Let us know that you got saved. You gave your life to Christ. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to make sure you get plugged into a good Bible-believing church full of the Spirit of God. Listen, the journey has just begun and the best days of your life are in front of you. We're praying for you, for you here at Kevin Wallace Ministries. Can't wait to see what God does in your life. We love you all. God bless.